You went too far. All right? We only really need to know about three people for this story. First is the author Paul. Uh, what's really interesting about this letter is it's a personal letter written from Paul to his friend Philemon. Most of Paul's letters are written to churches. Uh, he did write personal letters to Timothy and Titus, but in those letters, the church was the forefront of the letter. That was what they were talking about. This letter is really just a personal letter uh, between two men, and that really made me think when I was preparing for this message, why did the Holy Spirit inspire this letter, and why did he inspire Christians for thousands of years to include it in our Bible? Now, I have why I think it's in there, and I'll tell you when we get to it, but I want you guys to be thinking that as we're reading through it. Why does the Holy Spirit want me to be reading this right now? What should I be getting out of it? Uh, Paul wrote this around 60 to 62 AD during his first imprisonment in Rome. He probably wrote it at the same time as the letter to the Ephesians and the Colossians. In the letter to the Colossians, we actually meet the next person we need to know about. In Colossians chapter 4, one of the messengers that's mentioned is a man named Onesimus. Onesimus is probably carrying this letter to Philemon as well. Uh, it doesn't specify who's carrying it, but because he was carrying the letter to the Colossians, many scholars believe he was carrying this letter as well. Now, what makes that a crucial piece of information is Philemon and Onesimus, they have uh, a history. There's a little bit of bad blood there. I'm going to have to drop a little bit of a spoiler, but I think it's important for the setup. But what we're going to find out is Onesimus is a runaway slave, and Philemon is his master. So I want you to keep that in mind as we're thinking about Onesimus walking up these familiar roads to this house that he once ran away from, knowing that under Roman law, he could be executed, disfigured, um, Slaves that weren't executed would be branded on their foreheads so that everybody would know that they were runaway slaves. This is what Onesimus is facing as he's walking up to Philemon's house. So I hope you can feel the tension. All right, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're introduced to Aphia, who's believed to be Philemon's wife. Archippus is believed to be his son. Archippus is also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 as having a bit of a budding ministry. Paul was wishing him luck on. Maybe it's his home church. But I think the point that we need to look at in these first few verses is the tone. It's not authoritative, it's calm, it's friendly. In all of Paul's other letters, he greets with Paul the Apostle, Paul the Servant, or just Paul. This is the only one he introduces himself as Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul is trying to relate himself to Onesimus's plight here. He's also trying to relate himself to Philemon when he says that Timothy is our brother. He's trying to put everybody sort of on the same level. Heading into verse 4. I, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers 
because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, I think it would be pretty easy to read this and just think Paul's trying to butter him up. You know, he's about to ask for something, so he's trying to make him feel good, but that's really not Paul's style. Paul does not like anyone to boast. He wants everyone to stay humble. Peter found that out the hard way when Paul called him out in public and then made sure that he wrote about it in a letter that would be included in our Bible for all time. Instead, I think what Paul's doing here is reminding Philemon of how good it feels when he is in that community with fellow Christians, when they are growing and flourishing, when they are making disciples, when they're becoming disciple makers. And I think he's preparing him for when he points out that Onesimus is now amongst that same brotherhood. Verse 8, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who has become my son while I was in chains. So Paul's uh, beginning to make his request here. But remember where I told you that I would tell you when I think we get to the part that we need to get something out of today? This is it. And I think what it boils down to is heart change. Paul says that he could make Philemon do the right thing, but it's more important for Paul that Philemon's heart changes and he does it on his own. Heart change is not simply about doing the right thing. It's about wanting to do the right thing. And we see this sprinkled all throughout Scripture. But I'm going to give you two really good examples. In Jeremiah 31, God is predicting the new covenant and the reason why it becomes necessary. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, this covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. For thousands of years, the Israelites were following the law, some of them to the letter, but they still had anger and lust and hatred in their hearts. God did not want them to simply follow the law. He wanted them to want to follow his laws so that they could be more like him. Jesus says something very similar in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus said, You've heard, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you that if you have anger towards your brother, you will receive judgment. What Jesus is saying here is, I don't want you to just not murder. I don't even want you to dislike the people around you. I don't want you to have anger or hate in your heart. Jesus said, You've heard, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you lust after a woman, you have already sinned in your heart. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just not cheat on your wife. I don't even want you to look at other women that way because it's about the heart, not about your actions. The Jewish people thought that righteousness was a state of being that can be unlocked by simply doing the right thing long enough. But righteousness is not a state of being. It's a state of mind and it's a state of heart. And the more we try to live and act and love like Jesus... The closer we draw to him, the more we can be sanctified, then we can step into his righteousness, not our own. God said that in Jeremiah, and Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. Now Paul is saying that exact same thing. He's saying, Philemon, I don't want you to just free Onesimus. I want you to want to. I want you to want to free your brother and see him succeed and see him become a disciple and to spread God's word. Because Paul knows that we were all once slaves to our sin, but only by the grace of God have we been freed from our transgressions. Philemon needed it, and Onesimus needed that same grace now. Ironically, Paul is trying to free Philemon from his anger and resentment. Verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. The name Onesimus in Greek means useful or profitable one. It seems like uh, Philemon probably gave Onesimus this name out of spite or some sort of irony. But Paul's saying, look, now he is useful. Verse 12. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that we can so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Making it abundantly clear, this is Philemon's choice. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother, He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand that I will pay it back, not to mention you owe me your very self. When Paul says... I'm writing this with my own hand. It's pretty likely that Timothy has been transcribing up until this point. So there's a change in handwriting, right? Paul takes over because he wants Philemon to know how serious he is about this. And it's a good time to point out that this is the only letter that Paul wrote that does not directly refer to the resurrection and sacrifice that Jesus made for us. In all of his other letters, he makes reference to it. Instead, he's showing it. 
Paul is showing his own heart change. He is showing that he is willing to sacrifice himself for a brother in Christ. He's willing to pay the price for Onesimus's transgressions, just as Christ had paid for Paul's, Philemon's, and ours. Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 says, we are not to use our authority to lord it over others. We are to serve one another. And here, the Apostle Paul is doing exactly that. He is walking the walk. Verse 20. I do not wish, brother, that I may have... I do wish, brother, that I may not... that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Jesus Christ, sends his greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Worship team, you can start heading back up. I'm going to try to close this by answering or attempting to answer a question that I assume a lot of people are asking right now. What happened? What happened to Onesimus? What happened to Philemon? Did Philemon do what Paul asked him? Did Onesimus spend the rest of his life as a slave or a free man? Was he executed or disfigured? Well, the Bible doesn't mention either man again, but if we look into the early church father writings, we do have a hint at what may have happened to Onesimus. Ignatius of Antioch wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus in about uh, 115 AD, and there is an Onesimus mentioned in it. Now, I want to give a little preface here. We don't know for sure it's the same Onesimus. Uh, it doesn't specifically say, like, the Onesimus from that letter that's going around. But the location makes sense. Colossae and Ephesus are only about 100 miles apart, and people would move between those cities a lot. And the timeline makes sense, too. 115 AD means that if Onesimus met Paul when he was in his 20s or 30s, he'd be 70 or 80 now. So I like to believe it is the same Onesimus. Ignatius of Antioch has this to say about him. I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love in your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him. And blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. So if this is the same Onesimus, then this slave who ran away found Paul in Rome, converted to Christianity, returned to his former master to repent, facing disfigurement and death. But his former master, also a Christian, forgave him, freed him, accepted him into his home as a brother. And that man went on to become the bishop of an entire city. And I think that's a pretty good story. Let's pray. Lord, during this time of worship,
Please open our hearts. Show us what heart changes are still required. Show us the things that even though we don't do them, we still entertain them. The things that you want us to turn away from. Make them bitter and disgusting in our mouths. Help us to be more like the three men that we read about in this letter. Help us to repent like Onesimus, to forgive like Philemon, and to disciple and sacrifice like Paul. We pray these things in your son's mighty name. Amen.